This is a contact report from the 26th of August 2009. Type, enemy action. Category, direct fire. While a company tour Royal Welsh conducted a NATO forces patrol, insurgents engaged friendly forces with small arms fire from three different compounds, resulting in one British wounded in action, Cat A. Friendly forces returned fire, resulting in one insurgent killed, confirmed. Friendly forces fired mortars in vicinity of second compound, which caused three insurgents to flee towards the third compound. Nothing further to report. So that's a summary of one of the most exhilarating and probably life-changing moments of someone's life. People died, people killed, um, and it gets summarised into about 100 words. The confirmed kill on that day, uh, that was mine, and the casualty was one of my best friends, and he got shot through the neck. It was our first real patrol of the tour, and we had six months to go. Welcome to Veteran State of Mind. My name is Geraint Jones. I was a soldier, now I'm an author and writer. Uh, I was a machine gunner during that contact in Helmand Province, and to be honest, it was fucking awesome, and I loved it. And if you think that sounds harsh when one of my best mates got shot through the neck, then don't worry about it, because he is the man sitting opposite me now. Um, with the platoon, we called him Pink Mist, for obvious reasons, more reasons that will come apparent. His mum and dad named him Alex Jones. Alex, how are you doing? Welcome to Veteran State of Mind, bro. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, looking forward to uh, having a good chat about it today. Yeah, it's good. I mean, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this was because, and I'm sure anybody listening who's ex-military will agree, that once you, you get out, you, you know, you keep in contact over the phone and stuff like that, but you don't really get that much face-to-face with each other. And this is a good excuse to stick it in the diary and, you know, be professional about keeping in touch with each other and seeing each other's faces and over the time I'm going to want to get some of the other lads in you know as well and keep you know keep uh, keep keep a matter of record about what went on so that we can all kind of look back on it when we're senile as fuck and pissing <laughs> ourselves in old people's home yeah. <laughs> shouting at t- well we won't have TVs and shouting at our robots or whatever we are doing at that point so what I wanted to talk about to today, mate, because we're going to do a few of these together. You're going to be a regular contributor mm. to this. Um, I just can't get enough of you. Um, what I want to talk to today, because let's be honest, Afghan is something that it just tickles the boner of a lot of people out there. People want to hear about Afghan. We might, might as well have never gone to Iraq. No one ever asked a fucking thing about that. No. <laughs> no, no. So we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk a bit about Afghan. So first of all, just bring it, if you just, you can bring everyone up to speed about how the fuck you ended up being in Afghanistan, being in the being in the army in the first place? Give a real quick little spiel about that. Yeah, well, um, being in the army was probably something that I'd, I'd always wanted to do um, ever since I can I can remember. To be honest, it's I mean, I I, I was never an underachiever in school or anything like that. Um, but I, I'd never really thought of anything else other than being being a soldier. Um, it's not something that was ever sort of in my family either really i mean i was i was one of the first apart from obviously in world war 2 uh but my grand my grandfather my great grandfather sorry was uh was um obviously in 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 the war um but other than that it was just myself so that's sort of what i did um at the age of 17 i joined the the royal welsh um or rw it was at the time um, so just tell just tell people what ROW is. Uh, ROW was the Royal Regiment of Wales, um, and then we amalgamated then with the the Royal Welsh Fusiliers to become the the Royal Welsh. Um, infantry was something I'd always wanted to do as well. I'd never really thought about any other sort of sort of trade within within the army. I could have gone into other trades. I could have gone Remi engineers, anything like that. But 
I mean, if you, my sort of idea um, of being a soldier was was being being a combat. Yeah, I mean, I'm not wanting to offend anybody who's listening who is an infantry, but really, boys, what the fuck were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> not joining the infantry. Um, no, I totally with you on that one, bro. I mean, for me, it's like I do think we'll get into this deeper. I think we would have a special episode about it, but what makes a soldier and is a soldier born and or bred and all that and for me it's the same man it's always had to be infantry and like for you know for both of us obviously Royal Welsh was the it was the local it was the local regiment it's the lineage that goes all the way back to fucking you know everybody's seen the movie Zulu that is the, the you know our descendants in the Royal Welsh at that battle and beyond that it's, you know we got regiments that are over 300 years old which is crazy to think. I tell my American friends sometime about that, and we got we belong to regiments that are older than, you know, the United States of America, and there's a lot to be said for that. And there's there's definitely a calling. If it's like if you don't want to be in the infantry, you shouldn't join the infantry. You should want to be there because it's the only way that you're going to put up with the fucking stupid side of it, which it is. And we'll get into more of that. So I'm just going to bring people up to speed of how I got to know you. So I I had a different background coming in from Alex. I was actually. Um, I was in the TA when I was at sixth form because the idea was that I was going to do TA at sixth form, TA at uni, and then when I graduated uni, I was going to do a um, uh, going to go the officer route into the army and um, be a platoon commander and all that kind of stuff and have a career as an officer. But then Iraq kicked off in two thousand and three, and I thought, "Fuck this! I don't want to be. I don't want to miss this stuff." Because I think this is a constant through history as well. Soldiers always think when a war kicks off, it's always like, "Oh, if I don't get there now, I'm going to miss it." I mean, who'd have thought that the war on terror is still going on 17 years later and it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. So if you are in that position right now where you're thinking, oh, fuck me, if I don't get in right now, I'm going to miss it. You probably won't. And there'll probably be some other stuff going on as well. If, you, if you're willing to put in more than four years of service or something, if you end up, if you end up doing 12 years of service or something like that, you're going to end up going somewhere probably. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I use the TA as a backdoor into the regulars and, um, uh, like lost all ambition for becoming an officer. Just all I wanted to be was a lance corporal carrying a machine gun. And that is who I became. And um, I'd been with a company to Royal Welsh in Iraq. So I came back because, again, it was one of those things that when you hear the boys you've been in Iraq with are going out to, you know, going out to Afghan, there's no fucking way that you want to miss that. So I came back, got passed around the platoons a bit by... Um, a friend of ours who's, you know, in our hierarchy. I don't think he actually wanted to move me to B Company and not have me go out with A Company at all. So, fuck him. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I ended up with three platoon with you. And one of my f- first memories, not so much of you, but of our little clique of what eventually came, our, like, really tight little clique of friends out there, was that I thought you were all fucking assholes. Yeah. <laughs> And I think this is something that's this really happens a lot in the military or football, rugby teams, anything like that, is the lads who are the ones who really want to go and get after it, you all have a bit of an ego on you. So when you come in and you see someone else who has a bit of an ego and a bit of confidence and a bit of swag and all that kind of stuff, you automatically go into full-on chimpanzee aggressive <laughs> defensive mode and you think, like, who the fuck is this prick? Like, um, I found out through, um, uh, through, through Butch, who was um, the company clerk at the time, you know, because she knew me from Iraq, and and I and I was saying to her like, "Who the fuck is this big-headed prick?" You know, from Recky Platoon, and apparently the same day he's like, "Who the fuck is this big-headed prick from the TA?" <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I ended up becoming really fucking close friends with him and you. Um, so like, let's set the stage for Afghan. Afghan two thousand nine, as most people probably know, bloodiest year of um, the war in Afghan. Things were going fucking nuts out there. Um, by two thousand and nine. 
I think it's fair to say Afghan had switched from um, being the big kind of like the shooting war that people know from free power and stuff like that. And that's not to say there wasn't shooting going on because it obviously was and your neck is proof of that. Um, but it was because it would become an ID war by that point. Like predominantly casualties were caused by IDs. The thing that caused you to shit your fucking pants and thinking about it was IDs. There was a lot of lads coming back with missing arms, legs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the summer of 2009 was especially bloody, as as quite often happens in Afghanistan and Iraq. When the heat goes up in the summer, things go fucking mental. Um, I mean, like I said, they're always dangerous places, but you can just look at the statistics and see that things just amp up in the summer. They know it's been ca- campaign fighting season there since the times of, you know, Alexander the Great. And he didn't manage to sort the place out, so I don't know how we thought we were going to do it with a couple of thousand troops, but <laughs> there you go. Well, we can talk about a bit more about that later. But yeah, it was... Um, it was a crazy fucking place and, you know, you begin your pre-deployment training a good few months before you go out to these places. And we were seeing on the news a steady stream of casualties, um, unfortunately, you know, including friends of ours. Um, how was that for you seeing, obviously, I don't want to bring up names unless you're comfortable with it, but seeing, obviously, a good friend of yours, um, he was out there just before us, you know, I mean, what was that like? You're waiting to go away on tour and when you fucking, you know, close close boys, unfortunately, passes away. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think by that point, obviously we'd 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 obviously done quite a few tours in in Iraq and uh, as a unit as well as a battalion. So, I mean, I don't want to say that you become accustomed to to losing friends because maybe that's the wrong thing to say. But you do you you are you are I think more prepared for it. But still, when it does happen and it is someone close to home, uh, it does it does certainly affect you. And I think. I personally, obviously, you hear on the news about the deaths and things like that in in Afghanistan, but I don't think I was quite prepared for the number of casualties that we were taking. Uh, which, when we got out there and we were doing our sort of yeah. acclimatization in 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 Bastion, I can remember literally on a daily basis. Yeah, uh, minimizing. Yeah, it's like you're saying, man. It's, it's I. I... I think you're actually right. I think you do become accustomed to it because when you're on tour or something like that in the battle group, and again, people probably might not understand this about Iraq in 2006, 2007, you know, it was a regular, it's, it was a regular number of, of troops getting killed there. It, it happened. And until it happens to someone that you know, it never fully, it never fully sinks in. But it's like if, in, you know, by 2008, 2006, 2000 in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, you didn't deploy without losing people. It just that was the way it was. So it was going to happen. So there was that knowledge that it could and would happen. Like you just didn't go there as infantry and come back with not with with people everywhere being attacked. Didn't fucking happen. Um, I mean, I the day that we the day that we flew out to Helmand in the morning, I you know I attended a friend's funeral in the morning. And then we flew out there in the in the afternoon and stuff. And you know, I'd be lying if I if I didn't say that like, when I was at the funeral and watching. All that stuff happening in the family and everything. There was a little voice in the back of my head going, "You fucking idiot, man! What the fuck? You know what the fuck are you doing?" But you know, it's that's what we wanted to do. Is the, is the bottom line? And and like you said, dude, I was surprised, really surprised when we got there. So just to paint the picture for people, when you get out to theatre, you don't just like get off the plane. And one thing I always thought it was going to be, it'd be like platoon. You get off the plane and there's a bunch of like crusty old veterans waiting to go home, and they look at you and they go, "You're gonna love the Nam, newbie." That doesn't happen. The the you, you go in as a unit, and then there's not like 
there's not usually that kind of like people waiting to come out because we're so stretched in these places that you have to do relief in place. So you'll usually come in and there might be people going out on R&R or stuff like that, but it's not like there's a whole unit waiting to come out because there's not people to replace them in the uh, fucking patrol bases. You know, you need to go, uh, you need to go there before they can come out. So you kind of do your hand over on the ground. And to be honest, when that happens as well, people are always just fucking dead sound. You know, those are always great. But um, yeah, so we, you get put up in uh, Camp Bastion and you go through some uh, RSY training. I don't even know what the fuck that stands for. I've never known. I've done it three times. I have no idea. Um, but basically what it boils down to is you're acclimatizing to the weather. So you do a bit of light PTs to start with in the heat. Because, you know, you're going from potentially, you could be going from British winter, I don't know, around about zero fucking degrees and getting out there into, uh, into well, you could, you could get a 40 day in the, sum- in the summer out there. Um, but like, yeah, but it's definitely going to be a, a difference anyway. And then obviously let's remember you got your kit and all that kind of stuff on. So you work into your fitness. Uh, and then the other thing that you're doing out there is you're doing last minute drills of going over casualty evacuation drills, um, looking for IDs, all that stuff. And now that I look back on it, let's be honest, if that stuff's not down by the time you get into fucking theater, three days of doing it before you go on the ground, it's not going to fucking cut it. So if you are going to anywhere like that, get your fucking drills sorted before you fly up to the country. Um, cause looking back on it now, man, fuck me. There were so many drills that we were doing where lads were shit. And like, we have to shoulder as NCOs, we have to shoulder responsibility for that. Um, because really we should have done more of it in the UK, but let's be honest. We just wanted to fucking get away for the weekend and go and get smashed or smash whoever you were smashing at the time or, you know, so, you know, we definitely, that's part of that is on us as well. But yeah, don't leave your last, don't, don't leave it to the last minute when it comes to your drills. But um, there was a big hospital at Bastion, and um, if you are listening and you used to work at that hospital, then we fucking love you. Thank you. Um, and where we were in our tents, you know, you can the the Chinook has got a very distinctive sound on it. So the Chinook's the helicopter with the with the, with the, the two kind of like big rotors up on top, and we call them walkers because it makes like a walk walk walk. You you can just fucking tell these these things coming, and we got very good at knowing the direction of travel that if it was coming in from probably meant it was going to the um, it was going to the um, hospital. Um, and then the other ones that come in as well would be the American Blackhawks, the Pedro teams. And they have, they, have, they have like a little red cross on them. And I think it scared the shit out of us to see how many, how often they were fucking coming in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, every day, I think, while we was in Bastion doing our RSOI, there were... Op minimize would be called. There was people casually coming in, and we were there. We were there for a few months, by the way. Uh, not months, sorry, a few weeks, um, waiting to get our vehicles to uh, take over the beginning of the tour. So we actually ended up being in Bastion for a few for a few weeks. So we, it was a it, yeah. Sorry, mate, carry on. Yeah, I, I think the the first night we were there, I remember op minimize being called immediately. So just explain to me what op minimize is. Uh, so basically, op minimize is. Um, it gets called when whenever there's been a serious injury or a cat, category A injury or serious in, uh, in, injury to one of our forces or or death, then basically they call out minimize, and that is to shut off all communications coming out of of Afghanistan in terms of phones, internet, all that gets shut down. So it gives obviously the the unit back home time to inform the family rather than sort of somebody ringing their girlfriend and saying look guess we'll just we'll just yeah we just died yeah <clears throat> um yeah we, we're going to talk a little bit about op minimize later because i know there's something that we both want to get off our chest about that 
But we'll save that to the angry veterans section. <laughs> but yeah, the, and something else that really kind of hit on when we were in Bastion was the the vigils for people who had you know who had lost their lives. So, like I said, summer two thousand and nine, it was happening on all too regular basis. Um, and what happens is they get everybody together. It's at Bastion. It's not on a you know not on a, an immediate duty. Um, you get everyone together and you thought you have a parade. And um, they'll have somebody will somebody will they be there? There'll be a mate for each person that's died in the last. It's usually every few days, isn't it? Um, they kind of group them together. So there'll be someone to speak on behalf of their friend. Um, there'll be somebody from like so. There'll be like usually like an officer or someone like that. They'll give the kind of the company line about because one of the things that always used to stick. They always used the word fucking consummate consummate professional. They always used, and that used to piss me off because I used to think like. You're talking about a human being here and a person, and you're taking a fucking cut and paste yeah. little. You're taking a cut and paste se- sentence, and to be honest, when I was listening to them, it never used to bother me. But then when you hear the, hear the mate talking, quite often they couldn't even get. You know, we're talking about probably a fucking eighteen year old lad who can't. You know, couldn't really get through with. You know, twenty. No, not even twenty four hours ago, he was on the ground. Now he's back at Bastion. His mate's going home. You know, passed away. He's talking in front of like, I mean, let's be honest, talking in front of fucking 500 people or whatever yeah. is daunting enough as it is. Then with all that emotion and stuff. And they they they, they talk about it and then there'd be, there'd be a fucking him and all that kind of stuff. And, and But it really it was the bits that stuck with you. It was just the, the, hearing the mates talk. Um, and then at the end of it, there'd be, um, the you know, the the last post. Um, and then the when the Blackwatch were out there, there was a piper as well, wasn't there? Yeah. And that was like, dude, I remember the Piper. Because what they do is they'll play this, like, I don't know what it's called or anything, some kind of lament. And they'll play it, and the Piper actually marches off into the distance as he's playing it. So it just gets quieter and quieter. And that is like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, when you are, you know that in a couple of days you're going out into that and you're hearing that. I mean, how everyone wouldn't just collapse in and have an emotional breakdowns on those vigils, I don't know. But it was, you know, it was an important time. It was an important time to recognize. That you know, we have a lot of banter between units and everything like that. But when it comes down to it, we are all on the same fucking side. And you know, we genuinely grieved for those for, for those people. You know, those are our brothers, whether we never met them or not. And you know, a lot of the time, someone in our company did know because the British Army is not a big place. Um, you know, and it's 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 fucking it's fucking sad. But from our own point of view, it was just it was just really gut wrenching to like. You've got your emotional part of you who is, you know, really sad because you recognise that someone's life is over and that the life of that family and girlfriend or whoever is about to be changed forever. Children maybe too. So you recognise that. But at the same time, there's the um, hormones in your body at that point are going mental because you're, 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 you know that, like, that's what you're going into. Um, so it's it's a really potent kind of, bunch of chemicals that are going through your fucking body all the time you're in these places and um we had our own kind of ways of getting over that stuff which is black humor so what do you what what kind of anyone's stick into your mind about the black humor and stuff like that we were using bastion because it's always around in the army but fuck me it ramped up when we were in bastion i think my favorite one was and i know it sounds terrible to say but looking back now was one. <laughs> 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 it's just, this, bear in mind, this is what what we're talking now, nearly ten years ago, and it's still <laughs> there. It was, I think it was when you let. Oh mate, 
mention his name. Should we, should we say names? You look, shout out to you, look. Yeah, good shout out, you look. Hope you're well, lad. They do love you, like he's a legend. But yeah, young private, <laughs> first door, not been in very long, and he was sitting there looking at his feet in 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 the tented accommodation uh, in the evening. And I can remember, was it yourself for coming? I think it might have been me. <laughs> it was you, yeah. Uh, and you said, that's it, Hewlett. Take a good look at them feet. Because <laughs> in a couple of days, they'll be gone. <laughs> and it sounds horrendous. It does sound horrendous. Oh, but My 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 favourite my favorite was um, a conversation we had. Because I So just so people know, I kept a journal when I was out there. So I got a lot of these these written down and it was a conversation we were having and we were having the what would you rather lose conversation you know and so there's combinations would you rather lose your legs or your arms would you rather lose your cock or your eyes and I remember having these conversations and like it seems it's mad to have those conversations because we'd be laughing about it and stuff like that but the reason we were having those conversations is because we fucking worried that that was going to happen and it's the way that you get your your fears out whilst you know, and it, and it you, you it, in that humor as well is is that kind of thing of you kind of like if you lose like it's like if you lose your legs and your arms you want to live or die, and you like oh fuck me I'd rather die and but you're actually kind of almost like kind of saying to the boys as you say it look I've told you what I fucking want now like I know we're joking around here but this is what I want if I fucking lose my arms and my legs do not try and fucking save me, you know so that's there's a real purpose to dark humor. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here because people are trying to fucking make everything politically correct and try and stamp down and worry about people's feelings. Look, there's a reason fucking humour has developed. And part of that reason is because it's fucking healthy. Now, I'm sure our parents, if they were sitting around or listening in on that conversation, would have all had fucking heart attacks and stuff like that. But if we hadn't fucking been... If we hadn't had that outlet to get that out and we couldn't talk about that kind of stuff... We'd have gone fucking mad. We wouldn't have been able to go out and do our jobs. We'd have been paralyzed with fear. You know, you you have to get these this fear out. You have to get frustration out and everything like that. And like, I don't think I have laughed as hard since Afghanistan as I have done. I, I don't think I've ever laughed as hard as because we used to like laugh to like I actually had to unzip once and piss because I was going to piss myself. Like I literally was about to piss myself. And I don't think there's been moments like that in my life since. I have a fucking great life, but I don't have that level of hilarity. And I think it's only because the opposite end of the emotional spectrum is so possibly strong, potentially strong, sometimes it's so strong. But, you know, like, it, it, everything became fucking funnier. And it, you, could, you could say something that was racially insensitive, religiously insensitive, you know, you could slag off. The only thing you couldn't slag off is each other's families. You couldn't slag off, and well, by families, I mean kids. Wives were like <laughs> when one of the boys said that he <laughs> he wanted he wanted uh, Rue to die in front of his kids oh, on Christmas sorry. Day. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> I mean, that's harsh as fuck. But you know what? Like, it that was just if you were, if you were having someone giving you that kind of banter, you knew you were part of a brotherhood. Yeah. You know, that's when you know that you're part uh, part in there. Um, so when we went on the ground, did you come out in the Warriors or did you fly out of camera? I tragically came up in the Warriors. All right, come on, let's talk, let's talk people. All right, so just, again, going to paint a little picture. Hopefully, like, so, okay, but I'm going to let you know as well, we are videoing this. Um, 
wave at the camera. So we are we are videoing this as well. And if you listen to the video, we're going to be putting up some images and stuff like that on there. So to help this kind of stuff along, there will be images of maps and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, basically just set the scene again. Bastion is out in the middle of a fucking desert. Um, some of the RAF regiments still managed to let people get in there, but we'll come on to that another day. Shout out RAF regiment. Um, and we had to get our warriors, which are, if you imagine a, if you imagine a small tank with a group of very angry, hot, pissed off people sitting in the back of it, that's what a warrior is. So I'm a fighting vehicle. We had to get those from, um, Bastion to our patrol base, which was just south of Musakala or Musakala, as Ross Kent would say. So we were out there. Um, problem is, is that to get them out there, you have to go through a bunch of wadis, which are these big dry riverbeds. Um, really steep-sided a lot of the time. A lot of them only have one way of getting in, one way of getting out. Um, so they are full of IEDs quite often. Uh, it was supposed to take us it was 36 hours to get there. So, Alex, please take us from... Please take us from... How, how are you feeling when you're getting in the back of that fucking warrior to drive out to Musakala? Um Well, to start with, glad to start with, because you you know, right, that's it. RSOI's done, let's get out here. Because if I'm honest, and I think anybody who's been in a FOB, been into Afghanistan, any infantry unit anyway, will will completely agree that Bastian is not the place to be. You do not want to be in there. I mean the bullshit in there is is insane. So I was I was glad. And and I like we want to say as well, there are jobs that need to be done at Bastion. Yeah. If you were at Bastion or anything like that, you had family there. We're not having a go, or we're not having a serious go. We, if we say anything, we're two infantry lads messing around. But it's you know, there's like there's fucking valuable jobs that need to be doing there. I'm sure there's some jobs that just made up for the sake of it too. But the fact is, like you say, mate, if you are fucking infantry, you don't want to be in that place. You want to be out on the fucking ground. Yeah. I mean, that's why you've joined the infantry. You want you want to go out there. You want to go and do do what you've been spending months and months and months years. Yes, mate, and probably probably having a bonus since you were a kid, thinking about bayoneting people in the face. Yeah. like that's what you want to get out there and do. You're not doing that in Bastion. No. So yeah, I was I was glad. I was glad that we were leaving there, getting up to where you know our, our final destination um, in Musakala. So. Yeah, I can remember mounting up and what was, like you said, meant to take 36 hours. Ended up taking us, what was it, five days? Um, yeah, it was five days. Yeah. So how does it feel to be in the back of a warrior driving well, across Afghan? Uh, firstly, the dust yeah. is, is is in fact, the dust is probably one of the, one of the issues that you can deal with. The heat is insane. You lift, it's lift, well, you, you sat in an oven pretty I think, much. I, I think, I, I reckon most of the time you're in the back of the warrior in somewhere like that, you're actually passed out. Yeah. I don't reckon you're, you're conscious most of the time. Because, um, so just, I, I'm not sure what it would have been in, in Afghan, but um, I've got like an honest official report on this is that the, the temperatures in our vehicles used to get 60 to 70 Celsius in the back of the vehicles. Um, and, you know, like, you knew you haven't got any air coming in or anything like that. You've got the back is, is it's sealed up. So if you're thinking that we have air conditioning units and and stuff in the back of these things, then you haven't. These things were designed to fight in Germany against the Russians. Um, so like that kind of stuff. Well, there's heaters in them. If you want to get yeah. warm, there's a heater, and sometimes if they get fucking malfunction, you can have the heater blowing soon. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was absolutely like whenever that back door closes, you're usually like right where we go, we passed out. Um, you've got to wear all your helmet, body armor, and everything like that in the back because you could hit an ID at any time. 
And that was that's the feeling that I had as we used to drive along was you just that constant in the back of your mind when you're not passed out. Fuck any second. You it's almost yeah. like you're squeezing your asshole waiting for something, waiting for something to to happen. Like it could it could happen at any time. It doesn't mean you you don't have to be the front vehicle or anything like that. Um, could could happen at any time. And um, yeah, I mean, so the reason we were in the back is well, one, we needed a method of taking us out there, and we didn't have an abundance of helicopters in Afghanistan. Uh, but the the route needs to get cleared. So talk about talk about like uh, what it's like to fucking. Get, what was that first time like when you got out in Afghan to start waving a little metal detector mm. around and looking for something that's going to turn you into pink mist? Well, before we deployed to Afghan, I did the all arms search course. Um, search instructors course so my job then when i come back was to train everybody myself and well myself and pikachu so we we were eight companies pikachu! yeah it was our shout job pikachu. yeah shout out pikachu it was our job basically to train train the company in barmering using the the, the valens so for those of you who didn't see the sweep sweeping motion in the arm there so barmering right this is how you find ieds in afghanistan you have a few lads with really shitty metal detectors and you um, walk along sweeping these metal detectors in front of you and hoping that you find enough metal in the IED that it will give a signal. Then you get lie on your front. You get everyone else lying on the front as well. Uh, and then using your fingertips, your bayonet and a paintbrush, you start digging into the dirt pretty gently if you fucking, <laughs> if you want to live. You start digging into the dirt so you can uncover what's underneath there. And a lot of the times, uh, it turns out to be a piece of metal, uh, you know, just because there's a lot of... These, these roots that were being used out there were being used all the time, um, and they were ID'd all the time. And sometimes these IEDs were found and destroyed. Sometimes they hit a wagon. Either way, the result was there's a lot of fucking metal all over the place. Um, why we're using the same routes all the time. You can go and ask uh, someone with some stars on his shoulders about that because we, two Lance Corporals here, don't have an idea for you. We'll just say that it was, seemed fucking stupid to us. Um, and yeah, you, you have to uncover what's in there. So, you know, if you guys have seen Hurt Locker that most people have, there are bomb disposal experts and they are fucking legends and probably some of the ballsiest people in the world. Um, I don't even, I, we wanted to be infantry soldiers. I don't even know how you wake up as a kid and go, I want to defuse bombs, but fucking hats off to him because we couldn't do what we do without him. Um, but yeah, well, when it actually comes down to finding it, most of the time it's a young 18 year old infantry soldier with a few hours background training on, like, he, it's not even a focus of the training. It's like you usually at a ranges and it's the dreaded concurrent activity that you're doing at the back of the ranges. Like I would say we probably had less than six hours on it. And yeah. I, and that, and I, and that, when I say six hours, I am being super fucking generous there. And this is probably the skill that's going to save the most lives on tour. Um, I don't think we even had enough of the... We did, And it wasn't because it wasn't like um, people didn't want the training to get done. It was just we only had a fucking couple of them to, to fucking train with because they, they all needed out in Afghan. There wasn't enough of them to go around. So, and, and I'll let, you know, you can give lads a fucking broomstick and tell them to do it. It's not the fucking same thing. You have to have, you have to train with the equipment that you're going to fucking use on the ground. It's a bottom line. And you, you know, you, 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 so so what what you do is when you get a metal reading is you begin to use, what is it called? A clover leaf? Yeah. So you use the, using like the, the head of the metal detector, you do like a clover leaf, you move the head around the object to get an idea of the size and, and stuff like that. And all those kind of skills are skills that you can only actually learn 
with the fucking metal detector. Um, and, you know, you just, again, just didn't have enough kit to do it. And it doesn't matter if it turns out that it's just a fucking old Coke can or something like that. You're fucking, you fucking shit yourself. Regardless of whether it turns out to be an ID or a can of Coke, you shit yourself just as much when you're fucking, when you're doing it. Because once you find out it's an ID and you haven't been blown up at that point, it doesn't really matter because it's just, it's, you're all right. You know, you're going to sound, but it's, it's the, it's the nervous bit is while you're uncovering it. Yeah. I mean, I, on that route up then, up to Musakala, I was, I was lead vehicle all the way up there. Um, and my job was. Hey, well, we went in, we went in front too. Uh, all right, sure. Don't we give me, don't we give, don't we, hang on, no. For the record, you won't lead all the way up. You lead for a lot of it. Most of it then, because when, when it become to the barmering across a mismatch, mismatch wadi. Yeah, you did a mismatch. Yeah, you did a mismatch. Yeah, it was, we, we obviously had to, had to barmer across all that as well. And I can remember that was the first time, really, when we got to that mismatch wadi that we, that, I, that I'd actually barmered live. That was the first time we'd done it. And yeah. I can remember we'd stopped at the mishmash wadi and I did went through the process as you're trained to do. You stick the valon outside the door, the metal detector, cover the, obviously clear the ground before you step out the vehicle first. And obviously at this stage, you, you're stood in a, a yeah. giant. I mean, you basically, anywhere that you walk there, you have to, and, and this is not so much when you're going, when you start going through fields and stuff like that, you get a good, you get a good grasp of where they're going to place. Cause it's all about probability, right? When you place an IED. So the places that they're likely to, um, places that are likely to IED is going to be the entrance or the exit into a wadi because there's a very narrow choke point, choke point. You have no, no fucking option but to go through unless you can fly over the top of it. You have to go into it. Um, when it comes to big open fields and stuff like that, they're probably not going to plant them in the middle of a field because the chances of someone going onto that exact space is very small. So it's all a game of probability. Um, and also the chances of them being seen in the middle of a field planting it are a lot higher. Whereas if they're down into like a, basically a ditch that you have to go through or something like that at a certain point. So it's, um, you know, it's like a game of chances. They're trying to make their chances of someone stepping on it or driving over it a lot higher. Um, but when you're when you're working along the main tracks, which run you know run around Helmand Province, anywhere that you step on that track could be an IED. So you want to get if you want to get out the back of the vehicle and have a piss, you are literally taking your life in your hands at that point. Um, you know if you want to fucking go, if you want a bit of privacy to go and have a shit, fucking forget about it because you've got to clear everywhere that you fucking everywhere that you fucking step has to be fucking cleared. Bottom line. Yeah. And. Like you said, you, you get minimal training on it. So at this stage, I, when we got to that mishmash wadi, I can remember myself and one of the other guys, we were we were tasked to, to clear it, just the two of us, for the entire company's worth of warriors to get across this mishmash wadi now. And I'd never done it in in a live situation before, so... In Are you a, shitting yourself? Absolutely. Fucking I mean, right. in... in in a in a warrior, it's a, it's a giant piece of metal. So as soon as you put that valon on, it's it's picking it up. So <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so like basically, what he's saying, just to make it one hundred percent clear, is even though you're going through the drill of what you should be doing to get out, you actually have no idea anyway because the warrior is going to give a false reading. So you're, the only time you're going to find out is when you step on the floor. Exactly. So I can remember me and who was it? It was me and Patsy actually. Patsy boy, shout out Patsy. Shout out Patsy boy, love you, mate. And um, 
I can remember putting the Valen outside the back of the Warrior, right, clear that, and, and it was just going wild because it was picking up the Warrior itself. So at this stage... <laughs> just picking up... Yeah. I just imagine Patsy's face like, fucking hell, Bass. Yeah. I just imagine if he's pissed off at this point. Yeah, and that's pretty much what he was. So me and Patsy were just sort of looking at each other and thinking, <laughs> like, what the fuck do we do now? So it was it was like one of their moments where we're like, well, we've got to get out, we've got to clear it. So it's, you put your foot out the door... Step lightly onto the ground and just <laughs> like it's gonna make a yeah. difference. And just pray to pray the fuck that there's n- there's nothing underneath it. It's funny how we do stuff like that, isn't it? Though it's like how we think like, oh, if I just step down a little bit. Because you all seen the movies where someone steps on it and they hit a click, yeah, and they go like Sarge, and the Sarge's like, stay there. And he gets his bayonet and he slides his bayonet in and you get off and then like, like you put a rock on top of it. Yeah. No, what happens is you step on it and then your existence is over. Exactly. And, and at this point, that this literally, I, I don't know how Patsy was feeling, but I, by the look on his face, probably pretty much the same as how I was I, feeling. I imagine it, the same as you, but 50% angrier. Yeah, angry. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine there was a lot of fucking hating of, hating of Gordon Brown and, any other uh, anyone else in the hierarchy at that point? Yeah, it was, and obviously we we were under a lot of pressure from the OC at the time as well to get across. The, it was a big wadi, yeah. and we had to get get moving. So, and like in, in the you know in the interests of a balanced opinion, he has people on top of him telling him to get yeah. a move on everything like that. Exactly. However, a note for commanders out there: when you have young fucking lads at the front of your platoon or company, whatever, and they are fucking millimeters away from potentially being turned into fucking pink mist and rejoining the matter of the universe do not fucking shout in their headset and tell them to get a fucking move on or stuff like that or get out and fucking do it yourself and and there's another point as well i don't think that it is the place for officers and stuff to be clearing routes but fucking do it once mm. do it once and get a fucking idea how that feels and how your blokes are feeling every day when they're clearing the route and if you did it once you wouldn't be in the fucking radio telling them to fucking get a move on I'm saying, what the fuck's the holdup? What the fuck is the holdup? Is he's using, he's using his fingertips to brush away at something that could kill him and his fucking team of mates around him. So get off your fucking ass, do it your fucking self once, and then you'll never, you'll never do that again. So that's a good, yeah. that's a leadership lesson from two Lance Corporals. Definitely. Well, we were you were Lance Corporal at the time. You full, full. I was Lance Jack at that time as well. Yeah. Um, you know, let's be honest, Lance Jack Mafia, rule, yeah. rule the world. It was, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and that, that was my first experience of of, Af- of Afghanistan, and it was I I won't lie, I I was I was shit to myself. We all because, fucking were. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect, and I think to clear that mishmash wadi, it took me and Patsy. It probably took us about an hour to clear it, and that was the the start of the tour. By the end of the tour, we would have cleared that mishmash wadi in I, uh, five and, ten minutes. And uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is you got better at what you're doing, and the other is that some days. You just like you just so fucking tired and shit. You just didn't care. Yeah, like I, there's definitely points where I've done it myself on more occasions than I fucking know. Where I've had a metal reading and I've been so tired and I've been so pissed off with the people squawking my radio that I've just gone fuck it and stamped on whatever it was. Yeah, and if it had been ID, then I wouldn't be here now. And it's not a clever thing to do, but unless you've ever been at the point of extreme exhaustion, you can't get your. I, I can't get my head into how I was thinking. Like now, I'm thinking like that's mental. How did I do? How the fuck would I do that? But it's because you are like you beyond the you've been living on two hours sleep maybe for for days. It's for the heat and you're pissed off and you just want to go home. And you know well, and when you get home, you want to come back. But <laughs> but at the time, you think you want to go home, 
and you just you so you just go fuck it you kind of it's almost a thing of like fuck him let's see how he feels like when this happens yeah i'm gonna cause him headache right now by turning myself into fucking vapor <laughs> <laughs> it does now, sound ridiculous it but... is everyone's heard the old fucking expression of cutting your nose off to spite your face and this is just a case of blowing your legs off to spite the fucking commander like, yeah. <laughs> but no it's fucking true man like um so during that, so the, the reason it didn't take us 36 hours to get to the patrol base was because um, the ta- Taliban managed to get into the middle of the convoy and put out some pop and drop IEDs. So we had two vehicles hit these pop and drop IEDs. So that like that held things up as they were recovered. Um, then we had another wagon hit another ID, which was a fucking big one. Uh, I mean, we were like, that was absolute fucking miraculous that those guys came out of there without any injuries because that like that wagon was fucked. Um so, folks listening, take a look. Go online and, and Google like British Armour, uh, Br- sorry, British Army Warrior Vehicle. Um, those things are fucking toys when they get hit by an IED. Like these IEDs are fucking massive. So out, out in the middle of the desert, the Taliban can have a lot of time to dig these things in. So they can make them fucking big. Uh, and they've been doing it since the Soviets were there in the eighties. So we're literally talking about people who have forty years of experience. You think about the person you know who's the biggest expert at whatever they do in whatever field. Well, some of these lads started doing IEDs when they're 15 years old and we've been doing it for 40 years. It's fair to say that we, our six hours of training at most was not comparable to them doing it for 40 years. Um, and so, yeah, we got held up. We, we went into a place called Farb Edinburgh, uh, which is a forward operating base on the, it's on to the, um, to the west of uh, Musakala on the other side of Musakala Wadi, which is big, Big or wide wally. Um, the Royal Artillery were there, with the exact 105mm guns, which we'd see in action pretty soon. Um, to be fair to the artillery, thank you to them. They stuck a good scarf on for us and everything like that. We got a good feed there. Um, and I remember, because we were split up at the time, I'd got put into one platoon because they needed extra guys to do mm. the Bama teams. So I wasn't with you guys, but it's one of those things when you're on tour, as soon as you have a stop, you seek out your little your, your little clique. We, what were we called at the time? We, weren't at the, we were the clique at the time, the weren't clique, we? Yeah. We hadn't become the firm yet. Yeah, we had there was a, we had five of us who were like our, our little clique mafia of Lance Corporals and one single cor, uh, four corporal, which you call a full screw in the, in the army. And I remember Patsy had a cold kind of, uh, he had a cold, or was it, it's, I can't remember if it was Patsy or, no, it was Hunty it was. And he had a cold can of Coke for me, and I was just like, I just want to kiss him. Because, like, mm. a cold can of fucking pop when you've just been in an oven for the last, like, two days is, is just blitz. Um, and then what, what we, we were told we were going to stay there for a, an extra day then because there was um, – so the company that we were taking over from, they'd lost seven vehicles during their tour, and they'd all been kind of, like, pulled at Fob Eddie. Um, and they needed tracks putting back on them before they could be taken out. Uh, and take them back to Bastion because these are expensive bits of kit even though they weren't the best bit of kit for the job it's still expensive um, I mean fucking hell scrap metal value on a warrior's got to be pretty good isn't no, it? Go on, yeah. Any, uh, I, was, I almost said pikeys then well I did say it then but <laughs> right scrap the podcast we're going to get sued <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so um, we, yeah, we, the idea was that we'd retrack those seven warriors the next day and that was a nice little morale boost it was like yeah lads about to start six months tour. You've already had two warriors hit and a truck in the last uh, 24 hours. Now you're going to work on these vehicles that are absolutely torn apart by IEDs. <laughs> um, but we, as it was usually the case in Afghan, there wasn't actually the parts to do one of them. So that never ended up happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the next day, I'd be interested. I don't think we've ever really talked about this from your perspective, but the next day, to cut a long story short, um, we weren't even at the front of the convoy. My vehicle hit an IED. 
which is one of the, well, not probably one of the, the most fucked up experiences of my life. Um, not going to go into it in super detail here. All I'll say is that, like, it's, I don't know, I mean, I fucking write for a living and I still can't think of a way of describing it. It's just, like I said, you, you're passing in and out of consciousness as it is. So it's a surreal experience being in the back of warrior to begin with. You know, the next thing you know, every little... Oh well, fuck! You've been hit by an AD too. We're gonna to come on to that one. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> so you you know so you know what I'm saying. But it's like every little bit of dust that's been collecting on this vehicle and everything like that suddenly gets shoved down your throat and into your lungs and into your eyes and into your nose. The noise is just beyond fucking belief. So your ears are ringing. Your head's right. If you've ever played rugby or done any kind of contact sport, you've been fucking bashed in the head when you just like your knees are going wobbly. You, like, it's just, you don't have a fucking clue where you, where you are. Like, you're in the back of this metal box, and which gets lifted into the air. You smack against the fucking top of it. Your fucking guts feel like they've been punched through the top of your head. And you just, it's madness. And then there's this moment of, fuck me. Because, you, you, like, there's obviously, you know, you're not like, well, what happened there? Because you know you didn't hit a fucking speed bump. You know mm. you just hit an IED. And there's a there's a moment where you're just like, oh god, I don't want to feel around my body now because you've you've always heard the stories about oh when you get hit badly, you don't know if you're fucked up or not. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you start like because you can't see anything like in the back of these things it's dark anyway, and now we've got dust everywhere. So you start feeling around your body, and I was just terrified that I'm going to put a hand on a stump or something like that, and that was fucking. I mean that was. I mean, fuck me. I can feel my, cha- my chest, like, talking about it right now. I feel like someone's fucking smashing my chest with a fucking sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you start shouting to each other. And at first, it's just, it's just instinct. It's just chaos. And then I was the team commander in the back. I start getting, you know, start getting a little bit more sense back together once I realized that, oh, my God, I'm actually fucking in one piece here. Um, and then I remember, dude, and I felt bad about this later for, for reasons that have become apparent, but there was a little voice that came into my head like, fuck, I've been blown up. It's pretty cool because hmm, yeah. like once i realized i was alive there was that voice of because let's again in the infantry we want to get shot at and have all this stuff happen to us and when i started shouting around the back and i realized that the lads in the back were all right i was like oh cool because like most of the time that an ied hits a vehicle in afghan or whatever like that a lot of times people do walk away from it because if it didn't there'd be no one left within a couple of weeks because the amount of ieds like I, I, i'm trying to like it if you go on WikiLeaks and look up IED reports, it's staggering the amount of IEDs that, that have been found and disposed of and all stuff like that. But yeah, we started shouting around to each other and, you know, shouted out to the turret. The lads in the turret had been knocked out. Um, and then I'm not going to go through the whole thing here now. Um, it is something that I've written about, writing about it. Writing about it helped me a lot. It's not something that I'm, I'm really ready to talk about in an open forum, so we'll leave that. But unfortunately, the the driver of the vehicle later passed away. So that was fucking... I mean, that was... It's fucking hard. It's hard then. It's still fucking hard now, man. It fucking sucks. And, mm. you know, it's something that you, you think about on a daily basis. So, yeah, moving on from that. Um, you know, once that happens then, it's... You don't have... You don't have your mum come up to you and give you a cuddle and I'll give you a cup of tea. You have to crack on with your fucking job at that point. And we're still not even at our destination. We're still there's still more shit to be done and things like that. And it's it's mad because it's the most momentous moment in your life has just happened. 
and you still got to just crack on and carry on what you're doing. Like yeah. you got to get back, like you've got to get back in and start cleaning route again. Like you, so in the aftermath of getting blown up, you're fucking running around, putting casualties onto helicopters and your adrenaline's going through the fucking roof. And you, you, one minute you're full of adrenaline, the next minute you shit in your pants and one minute you want to throw up and the next minute you want to cry and you haven't got a fucking clue what's going on. I mean, I, I realized about halfway through, I'd been running around without my rifle for all of it. I didn't have a, you know what I mean? Like, Tons. like you, you get, you get, you get tra- trained to never be more of an arm's length for your weapon. And I don't think that I'd ever left my weapon before. And I went to get my weapon, my fucking weapons. I'm like, what the fuck is my weapon, my radio and stuff gone? Cause you're just acting, you, you become a fucking little chimpanzee in that moment. And like, yes, you've got your training and they say the training kicks in and to a degree it does kick in, but you're fucking acting on survival instinct for a lot of it. But then you, you, you go back to, so, like, you know, one of the things we had to do was clear an area for the, um, you know, you, you've got a clear around. This. So, again, when this happens and this fucking bomb hits your vehicle, or, your ve- well, rather your vehicle hits a bomb, I suppose, the Taliban don't go, how we got you now? Okay, we're going to go go home for the day. At any point, they could start opening up on you with small arms fire. With more, I think this, I think some mortars did come in, but they can start doing any of that stuff. And there's still the other fucking IEDs that are around there. Because they usually don't have one ID on its own. There's usually more. Because they know what happens is people start to forget their drills. They start to run around. And if you put an ID quite close to another, the next vehicle comes to the rescue, boom, it's going to fucking hit the first. Now, usually, if you go out in platoon strength, you've got enough people there to deal with one incident. But if you've got fucking two vehicles hit, at that point, you are fucked. Some of my friends have been involved in an incident where most of the platoon's vehicles got hit in a daisy chain ID. And how the fuck... Well, I know how the fuck they came out of it. Because the lads are fucking legends, that's why. Um, but, you know, you can be massively fucked. And you, so you've got to go back to being this cool, calm, collected person, which we know is very hard to do even when nothing's going on. When you've just been blown up and your ears are ringing and so it feels like you've been punched in the fucking face. And what's mad about it is I have a letter from that day. So later that day, we got to Musakala. We finally get to Musakala, DC, which is the district centre, which is the... The, the main kind of forward, would you, would, you, would you consider it a forward operating base or a patrol base? What's a forward operating base? Right? I would say more is a patrol base, really. Patrol base, yeah. Right. Well, it's a, it's a bigger, it's, so it's not as big size-wise probably as the forward operating base, but it's, it's a decent size. There's a good amount of people there and stuff like that. So we were able to take the vehicles in there and then, you know, to be fair to our major, he got up on the fucking, he got up on the warrior, give us a spiel and everything like that. And he hit the right notes, um, you know, fair play to him. And then uh, Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major, guess what? You remember what he said? I can't remember. I know, I know it was completely. He said, because I wrote this down in my journal, he said, you all get a chance to practice your first aid on this tour. Yeah, that was right there. <laughs> Which he was probably trying to crack a joke. To be fair to him, he was probably trying to crack a joke. But we were just like, kind of looking at each other, like, did you just fucking say that? But anyway, while we were there, I, I got um, a, a letter off my brother, I had an E. Bluey come through, which is a. A, a letter that people can send electronically and it gets printed off at the like these bigger bases um <clears throat> and um i wrote one back to him we still got that letter at home and i read it back and it is you can tell that i've got a concussion or something at the time mm-hmm. because i've written a paragraph and then there's just a line where i'm like it's taking me 40 minutes to write this um and then it's all over the place like one minute i'm talking about um games for the playstation the next i'm talking about i've got like and you know I like to think I'm a decent writer and, 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 I, and like, yeah. And I, I, and it's just, this thing is all over the place. And it's like, have you ever heard a boxer, like a professional boxer speaking when he's in his sixties? Yeah. 
that's what the letter reads like. And I don't think at the time that we realized the, the, the damage, because we were all like, oh, if there's an ID and you walk away from it, no dramas. Well, actually, I think we know now from the research um, that, that they've done on like, NFL players and stuff like that, you get a fucking concussion or traumatic brain injury, you are not okay when you walk away from it regardless. Now, you might be down the line, but like, look at, so today, Wales are going to play South Africa. We're probably going to release this in January, so um, fuck knows how it's going to go. But we all know in rugby, if someone gets a big hit now and it looks like they've gone, they've, their lights have gone off for a little, even if it's a split second, they get taken off for a head injury assessment, they can't come back. What well, doesn't happen, soldiers. But it, it wasn't even something that we were told about. And to be honest, I don't buy into the idea that nobody in the medical field fucking knew about this until a fucking Will Smith movie came out about it with the yeah. NFL players. I don't fucking buy into that. And again, at the end of the day, don't have a fucking choice. You need to crack on. But we could have done things differently because if you knew lads might be suffering like that, you might just keep them in the back of a vehicle for 24 hours, you know, get a medic to look them over. Or while we were at P- while we were at, um, if you're at a patrol base that's actually got a doctor, you should probably have the doctor just look everybody over. Regardless of, because again, we, you know, when fuck me, this is something that I'm sure on this podcast, I mean, it's called the Veterans Day of Mind fucking podcast, so we are going to talk about the head a lot. Um, but it just seems to me that that was totally neglected at the time, that that aspect of, um, you know, what what could be going on in the head. And to jump, to jump ahead a little bit as well, during a tour, whenever you'd come across an IED, um, quite often what you do is you get the, so the, you know, the Hurt Locker guys, as I call them, they'll come in and blow the IED. Um, and you'll get into hard cover when it happens, but you might be really close to it. Mm. And when, when so to try and explain, when a, so what, what you're seeing when you watch a video of an IED go off or something, you can see the blast wave because what the thing with the dust does is it shows you very clearly the power and the speed of a blast wave. So you imagine when you, um, when you slam the brakes on on a, on a car, you know, your head gets thrown forward and everything like that. <clears throat> when a blast wave passes over you, you might stay, you might tend your body, put a knee into the ground and, and kind of hold your ground like that. But your organs and your brain and stuff is getting slammed around in your fucking, in your head. Cause like, I always used to wonder when we'd spend days cleaning things, be like, why have I got such a bad headache? And your ears are ringing. You know why your ears are ringing? Cause it's loud, but you basically, it's equivalent. Every time one of those goes off, it's getting fucking punched by a fucking heavyweight in the face. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I do worry about like lads that have done the engineer's job and stuff like that, who have probably been around hundreds of these things. And not just them, like lads that have, lads that were out there in 2006 with danger close airstrikes, um, which is like basically an airstrike right on fucking top of you. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, blast wave, blast wave, fucking blast wave your brain is getting thrown around inside its fucking casing. Um, so if you work for the MOD or anything like that, and you're listening to this, please get a fucking grip of this situation and start looking into it because it's fucking too late when you get to the point like they've got with the NFL now where people just get to their 50s and are fucking vegetables. Uh, whew, fuck me, that was a rant. That was a good rant. Fucking yeah. mate, I feel like I've just been doing bicep curls with me tongue. You take over for a minute. I'm going to fucking decompress here and... Yeah, this, I, I, what you're saying definitely is true. With the um, certainly with the IED explosions and things like that, I remember when when I got blown up as well, and where you were saying about where you wrote the letter home afterwards, I can completely relate to because I remember when when I got blown up, 
uh, same thing with the, with the weapon. I, I had no weapon. I can remember looking back now and the Sam Major saying afterwards, what the hell were you doing? You were just running around with a set of binoculars. <laughs> you can't. And when I look back, <laughs> when I look back now, I, I can, yeah, I can, I can see. I was like, where was my weapon? <laughs> we, I have no well, idea. Oh, right. So I was on R&R at the time. So I missed this little spectacle. Did you have the binoculars to your eyes when you were running around? No, absolutely not. I'm not even convinced, right? Because we'd been blown up. Everything was smashed to bits. I'm not even convinced the binoculars were even uh, uh, usable. So we'll come back to that because that incident was a pretty big yeah. one too. Let's fucking... So we started this podcast, which is... How long are we going for now? We've been going for about an hour. <laughs> Fuck me, mate. Yeah. We, need ca- we need to catch up more often. It's my, ra- yeah. my rant it is. We haven't even got the Minden yet. <laughs> <laughs> three days in the tour. Day three. Oh, fuck. Right. Okay. We're gonna. Well, let's gloss over it. So, what happened next is we went to a checkpoint, which is basically a very small, very primitive patrol base. It looks like something out of the Flintstones, little Barney oh, yeah. Ro- Barney Rubble's place, and it's fucking awesome. It's everything you want as a fucking infantry soldier is to be put in this nice little. Because that's people, we all hate being cold and wet and broken, but it's all right being hot when you can wear your little skimpy mm. platoon sergeant shorts. And, you know, cut around, you got your body. Like, we, we dressed properly to go on patrol. We had our shirts on and all that kind of stuff because they'd cut down on, you know, the old days where lads were rocking around there with, like, you know, like if you, you got a bunch of shit tattoos on show and they cut down on that mm. because I think it was the Americans were getting more involved and the, um, whoever was their general was like, looks like Vietnam out here. And apparently, if you don't have shirt sleeves on, the next stage is you start raping the locals, which is literally what we were told. I never had the compulsion to rape anyone out there. I mean, you looked a little tasty a few times, but uh, that was just when the light was catching you, right? <laughs> but no, like, I can't, I can't say that wearing a T-shirt under my body armor ever made me want to rape someone. Um, definitely didn't make me want to start shooting civilians, cutting ears off or anything like that. So I don't really know. I, I do kind of see where they're coming from. They said, like, it's a slippery slope if you're not doing one thing. But personally, I think it's fucking bollocks. I do see that. I see where they're coming from, but I strongly disagree. Um, but yeah, like we were in this little patrol base and we were having the fucking time of our lives really, weren't we? It was just a platoon of us. Um, I mean, uh, I, how many people were, were manning it? It was only about three, three or four people up there, wasn't it? Where? On that, that, that little patrol base, it, that little tiny one. Oh, you're on about Roshan Tower. Roshan Tower, Roshan, is it? Is no, 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 not Roshan Tower. Oh, Himalopi, you're thinking of. Oh, Himalopi. No, like, sorry, yeah. I'm talking about Zulu when we're in Zulu. Oh, right. Yeah, Zulu. Yeah, so man, checkpoint, Zulu, checkpoint Zulu. Checkpoint yeah. Zulu. So we had, you know, you got a couple of little sangers, this little, like, like I said, again, on the video, check out the video, it's going to be on YouTube, check out um, my Instagram for pictures of all this kind of stuff, uh, at GRJ Books, and um, yeah, we were just, we were going out on patrols, we we had, in our platoon, we were so lucky, we had the best platoon commander and platoon sergeant you could ever fucking ask for, uh, with a Boston turkey, they were fucking, they were, both of them are fucking legends, and then... Dai and MJ, Dai and MJ, fucking awesome too. The other two sergeants in there. We had a great fucking platoon, great, great bunch of blokes, and we're going out on patrols. We weren't really getting contacted on the patrols because we were more in a bit more of a benign area. There was the risk of IEDs, but what was what would happen is we'd get shot at in the sangers and and stuff yeah. like that. And it wasn't like five hundred Taliban coming in. Like so, basically, at this stage, the Taliban had realised that they couldn't go toe to toe with British soldiers, American soldiers, can come out alive. Um, and not that they're afraid of dying, but they they are in the business of winning, which I think we, again, both agree that they have done. Um, and, you know, I just want to fucking spit saying that, but it's true, isn't it? But let's come back to that. 
Um, what they were doing at that point was basically harassing us. So they would um, plant IEDs up because they, they knew that they they were they knew at that point all they had to do was hold on for a few years, play the long game. So all they were trying to do was kill us um, and sap the morale of the publics back in the United States and the United Kingdom um, because they knew that we didn't have the stomach as a nation for a long protracted war with heavy casualties. So we could kill 500 of those fuckers. And if they kill one of us, they think it's, it's a win because there's not 500 people in those Taliban families or, and, you know, be it in Pakistan or Afghanistan or whatever, who were then going, oh, we need to bring our Taliban fighters home. No, it doesn't happen. They're going, oh, Al-Akbar, that's great. He's dead. Yeah, here's another son of mine that can go and join up for him. They fucking keep throwing their families into it. They want them to be doing it. Um, so basically... In Sangin, I would say, without a doubt, Sangin was the worst area to be in. Um, that was the tal- seemed to be the Taliban's main effort in Helmand province. Where we were, I think they were, they were doing basically the same as us. We were trying to hold the ground. They were trying to hold the ground and stop us expanding. I think that's kind of where we were. So they would do harassing shoots on us. It was predominantly IEDs, mortars sometimes and things like that. Um, but yeah, we had a fucking great, we had a great time there. Um, the most, the only time there that I remember I was really fucking pissed off was my GPMG, which is my machine gun, was on the floor of um, the Warrior when we got blown up. And the vibration, so like any machine gun stuff like that, you got little springs here and there, all these like a few little finickety little objects in inside the gun that make it go pew, pew, pew. And um, when we got blown up, well, I, I, I realized this thing was on the deck plate on the floor and a warrior's the warrior's clearance off a floor is about what foot, yeah, if, if that, that, if that in the dust. So this 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 machine gun had suffered the entire kind of force of that blast, and I was not impressed. I'm sorry, I was not convinced that it was going to be okay. Um, and I asked if we could test fire it into an empty fucking wadi, and we asked for permission, and we were told no. Again, what the fuck? Why would you, right? In your, when you're in the UK and shit like that, you go to the ranges often to zero and test fire your weapons. Why is it when you get on tour when people are actually shooting at each other, you're then not allowed to test fire? That is fucking mental. Um, and then one day, yeah, there was a contact going on. So opposite us, we were on one side of the wadi and on the other side of the wadi, there was a, a recently newly acquired compound which was being held by mostly the Afghan army but also some British troops there. Uh, and every night that place got attacked, you know. Yeah. And we just fucking we because we were a bit too a little bit too far out of it to really kind of contribute. Um, but fuck me, I was nice to watch, wasn't it? Yeah. Like because it was picture the scene. Got a beautiful sunset. Sun's going down behind the mountains. Pink skies, and then you got the tracers bouncing around everywhere. Some nice RPG airburst. Maybe a bit of fast air. Some artillery coming in. And it was nice to watch. Yeah, it was, it, was frust- it was fr- it was yeah, exactly. It was fucking frustrating because you want to get stuck in. And there was one day where um, they were in range of the GPMG and they were starting to break between the compounds. And it was just literally like a machine gunner's wet dream. And I was like, right, finally, here we go. Start mowing down hordes of the enemy. <laughs> click, click, bang, bang, click. And it just it just wouldn't fucking it just wouldn't repeat. Um, and it it turned out that there was like a spring in there. It was fucked, um, and they, we had to get it replaced. But that that was my only bad memory from that place because the frustration. I mean, I wanted to take that thing and charge the like fucking probably like seven hundred meters, just charge it and start beating them with it. Like I was so fucking pissed off because it was totally avoidable. We could have test fired it days ago. Yeah, got it replaced, and then there could have been a bunch of mowed down enemies and their wailing widows. <laughs> 
<laughs> but instead it was just me going what the fuck we're fucking pissed off um but yeah so we stayed at zulu for a while um got rotated out there <clears throat> check out the check i'm gonna stick some stuff online about zulu we got some pretty funny videos of us poking black widows nests and yeah, stuff that was like that by my bed yeah it was by your bed we were trying to provoke it into coming and get you in the night um, but that was a great fucking, that was a great time, man. That's probably one of my favorite times in Afghan. Um, then we went down to Patrol Babies from Minden and I think it was the first day we were, it was the first day we were down there or something. It's, it was pretty much, we just got there, hadn't we? We just literally gone to the main patrol base at Minden. Well, when, uh, before we, before we went for the patrol down south. Um, uh, I think it was on our third day of patrol. Oh, tell them the bags of meat story. Um, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> horrific as well. That was, you should have laughed. Yeah, that was, um, it was funny. Well, we was all sat in camp one day, weren't we? And we we all there was obviously a, a massive explosion, and initially we thought we were being being mortared. Um, so we had that. What was that tower called? The the camera on it? Cortez. We had Cortez. So they reviewed Cortez to ask to, to try and find out what had happened, and it turned out that there was two people on a motorbike. Yeah, so they'd put this ID out there to take out our warriors, which probably weigh a million tons, mm. and instead two unlucky fucking locals on a motorbike. And here's the thing about the Taliban. If you think that they're fighting for the locals, they're really not. They're fighting for themselves. Because um, these fucking poor lads had just gone up to Musakala to buy some fucking shopping, and they're coming back, and they drove over an IED, because we, we watched it on the video later, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to have that video. I'm not sure if I, it was one of the ones I lost, but... Um, if I've got it, I'll stick it online. But like these two lads, you see them scooting along, and the next thing they hit this IED, and fuck me, it's it's it, it was the IED was there to take out a warrior, hit a bike. Um, go on. So you you yeah. Went so obviously there the, there was two guys from from the the little village next to us when it was, was it Yadamshire it was called yeah. wasn't it yeah. So Yadamshire. we were tasked then to go and do a, a patrol in the Yadamshire to see the locals to find out what what had happened was their casualties and. And, and so on. So we initially moved into the village, and you could tell straight away that it was a bad feeling, eh? a bad vibe, because obviously they they just lost two two of their their guys in there. So as we were in there, I can remember I was providing rear cover with Rue, and a gentleman or two gentlemen started coming in carrying carrying a bag. Well, well, something wrapped up anyway. And he, Rue stopped him, and myself, I stopped him as well, and said, you know, wait, stop, show us what you've got, you know, making sure it wasn't any, any, you know, suicide, a suicide bomber. bomber. Yeah. Um, and I remember he just lifted up, well, what what was... What used to be a man on a meat. scooter. Yeah. Uh, what was mincemeat and... Rule, I don't know what he, what he was thinking, but he genuinely thought that he'd just been to the, the, the butchers. Um, <laughs> he said to Kelly, he was like, oh, it's all right, they just got bags of meat. Yeah. So, so I, 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 again, I shouldn't laugh at that, but it's black humor. Because yeah. if you don't laugh at stuff like that, you go fucking nuts. Because then you'd be like, because what the alternative is, if you don't laugh at it, you're like, oh, you realize that that actually could be me. Yeah. That's getting carried around as a bag of meat. I mean, I clicked straight away because I could just see by his face that he was... He, was he, did, he didn't look like he was just happy that he'd been to the bushes. No, no, certainly not, no. So No, I mean, and that stuff is like... And, it, and it's hard because the thing is, like we just knew that at the time, you do come to like... Some, there's some things about the locals you don't like, like they fucking shit everywhere. I don't like that mm. because you walk into it. 
But you come to like the locals. You you come to realize that they just want to be getting on with life and be yeah. left alone. And they're not exactly. supporting the Taliban. They're not necessarily supporting us, which is fucking fair enough. They just want to be left alone and get on with the shit. And you can see genuine grief and stuff like that. And you do feel sorry for them. But at the time, you yeah. just make a joke about it. You've, well, you've got to. I mean, yeah, you have. You in, have. Si- in situations like that. And I think when I look back at Afghan, Iraq and things like that, I, the, the little things like that are not things that pop into my head, but when I look back at them now, I think you know, actually, that's pretty gruesome. That was that was pretty. Uh, Wait, pretty... imagine having to go out and pick up your cousin or whatever, wrap him in a bit of carpet, yeah, and then have some fucking bloke from the other side of the world who's head to toe in body armor and stuff with a fucking rifle. He's probably got sunglasses on. He looks like a robot, fucking alien, yeah. fucking thing. And he's stopping you and making you show him your fucking bitty old fucking yeah. cousin. I mean, it's fucking, it's tragic, mate. And again, yes. you know, we, we have, you know, we think about what's the mental cost of war on our side. But fuck me, why is the mental cost of war of being a villager? That village, mate, had been getting fucking pounded for years. Yeah. And, there's, they, and they died on a regular basis. You know, they died and we did everything we could to limit them. We really did. We'll talk, I'm going to talk, we're going to have like a bit of a rules of engagement kind of podcast particular at some point. But just take my word from it that by the time we got there in 2009, um, and this was August, this was August 2009. By the time we got there, it was gone with the days where you could, and I, I don't even know if there was a day, to be honest, where you could call in fast air. But to get fast air by the time we were there, you literally had to be about to get overrun. Yeah. Um, you could not call stuff onto compounds. You couldn't. You couldn't do anything like that. So... I think it was only once while we were out well, there we, that we, we had the. We uh, us. I saw it. I saw it when I was with other. When I was uh, on QRF for the battle group, I saw. I saw five hundred pounders and stuff a mm. few times. But us as a company, we'd have fast air. So fast air would come to you whenever you were in a, a when you whenever you were in a contact. But if the Taliban were firing from the compound, which they were almost all of the time, um, you, you just couldn't do anything about it. So I remember once we had like a ten. There was two a tens flying around. A mm. tens are the big bad boys that go. Fucking awesome! I, yeah, I give me. I just got a fucking huge boner. Well, okay, I got a tiny little boner. I <laughs> I shit myself when that yeah. when that fired. I you can't you see the videos of it. Yeah, you cannot appreciate how loud it yeah. is. video. Check out the video that on my Instagram. We got that up there. But yeah, but the only reason that happened was because the Taliban fucked up, <clears throat> and three of them came on bikes and went up onto a ridge line. Um, so as soon as the A-10 pilot saw that they were outside the compound, he just came and lit them up because we, no one knew it was coming. I just happened to be looking. I had the fucking camera because like we weren't firing at the time because it was just kind of like, I think it was this, this was towards the end of the tour and we just like, at that point getting shot at was just not a thing. It's just yeah. not bothered. And we were just kind of watching from the side and I just have, happened to have my camera pointing at the hill and then the next thing, a hill just disappears in the smoke and you um, shout out A10 pilot. Yeah, no. If you are A10 pilot, come to any bar that I'm ever at, and you will probably fucking die of liver failure because I will be. <laughs> I'll just be saying, "Bring the rain all day" and fucking buying your shots. Um, yeah, but like it just wasn't a thing. It just wasn't a thing. Getting mortars, even getting 81s was very hard. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um, I mean, that that contact report that I read at the beginning of the podcast, which seems like fucking ages ago now. Um. You know, those mortars that were called in, you did, that wasn't like a willy-nilly thing. That was because we were fucking, we were in some fucking trouble um, to get those mortars in. Um, but what I didn't read out of that podcast was after the Nothing Third to Report bit, there's two full paragraphs going on about how much effort we went to to positively identify targets, to avoid civilian casualties, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the reason I had that contact report is because it was on Wikileaks. 
Um, I don't know. I'm going to get dragged away after this podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> reading I actually checked out the legalities of this and apparently because it's already been released on there, it's not a pajama. So please don't take me away. Hmm. Yeah, um, but uh, people say about collateral and stuff like that in war and, uh, you know, the cost of civilian. Yeah, obviously there are, but I mean... Are you going to say I, something that's going to get us banned off? No, no, totally <laughs> not. But I think we... It's, it's massively blown out of proportion yeah, it, people people think that we're fucking cowboys. Yeah, and we're going out there and we... Because we, I've heard a lot of it, you, and you do, you, you hear a lot of it. Obviously, things have happened out there. Um, but there are massive hoops you've got to go through in order to... To, to uh, call in fast air, to call in mortars, yeah. artillery and stuff like that. And, and you can just get... You can get told no. Yeah. <laughs> even, if, even if you on the ground think that it's the right thing, they can just say no. Because yeah. at the end of the day... And it makes total sense because there is there's there's no point in us being in a, in a place trying to win over local populace of the village, and then flatten someone's fucking house and yeah. kill his grandma because then they're not going to come back on site. The problem is is that by the time we got there in two thousand nine, for three years we had been flattening everything. Yeah. And I, if I fucking came down to Swansea now with you, and for three years flattened stuff, and then three years later go, hey mate, good news, we're going to stop calling bombs down onto your compound and you've already lost your grandma and your grandpa and you're fucking you, you're on your third house which was a mud hut to begin with and you've had three mud huts blown out of you and you know every the time they don't have fucking insurance company and a bunch of builders that come in and build them a new house they have to do it themselves and that means that they can't tend to their crops and stuff like that so if you come in after three years and they say oh it's all okay you know we're not going to do it anymore what the fuck do we think is going to happen to this stuff? Yeah. I, I'm about to go on a rant, so I'm going to... Go on. <laughs> no, I'm going to change direction here before I go off on a rant. <sighs> right. Let's fucking bring it back to where we started, which was getting into a pretty tasty contact. Yeah. You got shot in the neck, so I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you roll with this story. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you my, my... How I remember that day anyway, so... We were all wearing red tunics, yeah, white pith helmets, charges of Valkyries. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, it was this was very early on in the tour as well. I mean, we we'd been a couple of weeks on the ground, a few weeks on the ground. Yeah, no, well, sorry, it's end of August. We flew out in July, so we're probably we're probably a month in we're probably a month or so in Afghanistan, and probably about a week on well, no, a couple of weeks on the ground. We had yeah. a couple of weeks in Zulu. Yeah, so a couple of weeks, so. We don't count time in Bastion really as time in Afghan because no. it ain't. I take my grandma to Bastion. Again, nor having to go on anyone. Don't start fucking crying because I'm saying stuff about Bastion. Um, but really, you could take, you could quite happily take your grandma. I'd, I'd rather t- put it 100% rather take my family to Bastion than I would do to certain parts of LA or London. And, and Hands down. Absolutely. I and mean, they got a pizza hut, which I want to go to. You could probably get dysentery or DMV or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'd actually been on the ground as in we'd been, we'd left camp, we'd been dealing with IEDs, we'd been dealing with like mostly sh- kind of shooting scoot mm. contacts, but we were out there amongst it, patrolling all that kind of stuff. Sorry, mate. Yeah. So we were obviously, we were tasked then to move down to the M4 Wadi, um, which, which was previously out the, out the bounds, if, if I'm correct. Yeah. yeah through- so the M4 Wadi is um, when you get a map, you name the terrain features on there. And wadis are very important terrain features because they are choke points. Um, they provide cover from view for the enemy. Um, they don't usually use them for that, but they you know could be used for it. Um, they're points that are very hard to keep a, to, to, to watch 
um, because they are very, they do it, they're quite deep, they go quite deep in the ground. Again, keep harping on about it. Get on the old socials and um, look at the pictures on there because I'm a photo whore and I put loads of stuff up. Um, but the M4 Wadi was a... So in the area that we were in, you had the wide, very wide Musakala Wadi that ran to the west of us. And that was basically... It almost like It's almost like... You know what, mate? I never even thought about this until now, but I've just had a moment of, of insane clarity. We almost had a football field of where we had, had our operations. So the top end of the uh, top end of the pitch was Musakala itself. Um, and the bottom end of the pitch, which was, I suppose, be the end zone or the try line, would be the M4 Wadi, which was like running parallel um, from, you know, like west to east, east to west. Um, we had one boundary on the left where people would kick off from the other side of it, but we never crossed. To the other side was desert. So there was this just this strip of compounds, farmland, green zone, which is like built up vegetation and stuff like that. Um, and the lowest, like I said, the try liners, so to speak, was... Um, the M4 Wadi, which was known as the Flat, which is the fucking smashed it. No, yes, I didn't actually know. That's why I was asking you. Because I, I always say frontline enemy troops because it sounds cooler. You know, like I was on the front lines with Ross Kemp. <laughs> Get Ross Kemp on as guest on here. Yeah, no, mate, that'd be awesome. Because he was in Musagala. I just want to stroke his head. He was in Musagala. <laughs> he was in Musagala. <laughs> yeah, with the with the, um, one of the Jock regiments. Um, anyway, before we digress onto <laughs> Ross Kemp, yeah, I'm gonna, let's watch more force me get on. Um, yeah, um, the to the M4, no one had gone past that basically. So if you keep going south, 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 you'll get to Sangin, which isn't actually that far from where we were. No. Like the Helmand Province, where you actually Helmand Province itself is fucking big, but the actually areas where we had the troops doesn't cover that much ground uh, at all, really. Um, yeah, it doesn't really doesn't co- you know cover that much kind of ground, so. Yeah, the M4 was this deep wadi. There was compounds on the other side of it, and there was a hill known as OP Hill, which was um, it was called that because the Russians there was all Russian positions on there, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about Afghanistan. That people have already been and gone from this place, and we're coming in thinking, oh, well, now we're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to be better. Does that sound like a defeatist attitude? No, but it's fucking realist. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we so we started patrolling down towards there. Yeah. So we we started patrolling down towards there, quiet, early in the morning. Uh, come to that big ass dog, the hound. Yeah, um, not not to be confused with Game of Thrones hound. Although yeah. it was just as big as it was and frightening, yeah. far more frightening than the Taliban at that time. Yeah, fucking <laughs> big slathering jaws. Yeah, um, yeah. So we got down there. We stopped off for a bit, stopped short, and then we obviously had to cross that that bit of open ground. Then towards the the M4 Wadi, we were going to drop into the M4 Wadi, skirt down it, and pop back up. Uh, on that little village on the other side of it, which later become what was it, Kabia, was it? Chakao village, Chakao, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, and pop up in there, uh, see the locals. and You can actually find these places on Google Earth too. Can you? Yeah. I'll show you when get on, mate. Yeah. yeah, have a chat with the locals, see what's going on, get what sort of intelligence we could in regards to Taliban operations and and then pop back home for tier medals, as you say. But obviously, at this point where we got down there, there was something going on because there was no locals there. They were and all... there's these little dark shapes that keep popping up and down behind compound walls. Yeah. So that was a, a pretty big sort of combat indicator. Yeah. Um, just, to, just just touch on ICOM as well, let people know about. But... Yeah, so I was just going to mention that. Well, obviously, at this stage as well, we'd had reports that... Uh, our interpreter was saying that over ICOM chat are the, the so, ta- so I ICOM is so the Taliban just like us they use radios to <clears throat> excuse me they use radios to communicate 
but their frequencies were unsecured, which basically means if it's like tuning into a radio station, if you find the right signal, uh, the frequency, you can tune into it. So by using ICOM scanners, our interpreters could listen through the channels, find the ones that the Taliban on, and then they would interpret to us what they were saying. One of the ones that sticks out to me, remember, just like to digress a little bit, when we were at Zulu, was that there was some guy and he was like, on the radio. Um, and we asked the interpreter what he was saying. He's like, oh, yes, because um, this is obviously before, uh, the Taliban talking. And he's like, oh, his dad is dying. Yeah. And what do we do? Laughed. Laugh, obviously. Laughed. <laughs> as, so, as, I know. Yeah. So there that's you go. That's the reality. That's the reality of war is someone's, someone's got his dying dad alongside him. I remember these are Taliban. These are not civilians. Yeah. Um, dying dad alongside him. And we're laughing because fuck them. They're trying to kill us. Definitely. So, yeah, we obviously had that, that over the ICOM chat, but as well saying that they were preparing to attack but we used to get that quite a lot from what yeah, I remember yeah I mean they, they, they fucking give it big licks the Taliban they, they, they're, they're like that lad in a bar who's got a tap out t-shirt on who's constantly saying oh, I'm going to attack I'm going to attack hold me back hold me mm. back it's very rare that they actually well I say very rare obviously it was pretty common that they do actually attack but if you fucking every time that you listen to, if you listen to them every time they say we're going to attack and you stopped the patrol and got into hard cover or whatever you'd never move anywhere yeah exactly which exactly. maybe maybe that's why they used to fucking do it who knows so yeah that obviously coupled with the fact that there wasn't any any locals in sight whatsoever I think the the platoon commander at the time made the call to, to move back so yeah we started moving back uh, across the out of the M for Wadi and back back across the open ground. I was sort of middle of the pack and happy, moving along nice and slow, good spacings as you do, standard infantry infantry drills. And all of a sudden, I just remember just a big sort of clap, like yeah. massive clap. Uh, and then thinking, what the hell am I doing on the floor, sort of thing. <laughs> Probably having a nap out yeah. of the SOPs. Yeah, so why am I laying on the floor, sort of thing. And <laughs> then that was it then, all sort of hell broke loose. And yeah. uh, you get... Up. I mean, it did, it, when when they opened up, there was a lot of it. And because I, I, obviously you were the clap because we were right next to you. I kind of remember the tuss and the... That kind of thing. You yeah. start seeing a little derp. Yeah, but that's you know, definitely it was, and that was it then because yeah. I could I could hear all that going on and I was like, shit, this contact like kind of yeah. con- contact because like I said, like so again, we getting shot at a bit in a sanger is one thing, but this was different. This yeah. was like. A lot of fucking rounds going through the air. Yeah. Um, and you can see Durka. And, I, you know, we'd be lying if we said we had an exact crystal clear. I remember the sound quite well. And I remember what we did initially. Because I remember having the thought of going, oh, my God. Someone's fucking shooting at us and we're in the middle of this open field. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like a moment of disbelief. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I myself and same as you, I, I, at this, up until this point, I'd been shot at... More times than I can even yeah. remember. Yeah, but I mean, with Iraq as well. Iraq, I'd I'd never been in a position though where I'd been on the receiving end of such a heavy rate of fire and and in the middle of a field. It, too, yeah, where, when this when this wasn't a cornfield or anything like that, it was an open field. Like yeah. we had, there was just it was like it was imagine being stood in the middle of a football pitch, and then like just somebody like just bunch of people open up on you. It was like. um 
I mean, not that I don't think we worry about it at the time, but it was such an unusual situation because, like, usually in Iraq, you're in and around your vehicles or something like that, you know. Yeah, you go somewhere to at least take a bit yeah, of cover. Yeah, a big fucking worry with a thirty millimeter cannon next year. Yeah, so yeah, initially it was that sort of right contact shit. I could hear the rounds whizzing past me, clapping over my head, uh, and as you, you do what you do, you you try to initially locate the firing position and return fire. So that's what I did. I just so started, it, was, it was obvious where it was coming from. Yeah, yeah. So I just started firing back into the position where 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 I thought they were hitting us from anyway. Um, and then at that stage, and it seemed that, that the the rate of fire sort of picked up a hell of a lot more. And I could, as you were saying, see the dust kicking up in front of yeah, me. Yeah, and I think the reason that is is because they're not all like as organized as us so there's probably a few of them that start firing and then it spreads through the rest yeah. whereas with us if we initiated an ambush everyone's going to be fucking coming online the same kind of moment and you know um and i yeah i, I think i think that's probably with and this is hindsight i wasn't all i was aware at the time was going like oh, fuck it up oh, fuck it. sweating my fucking balls off stumbling through the field to get with you know to get up the front with my jimpy um but I'm pretty sure that's probably what it, that's probably what it was, and I don't, yeah. I don't again. I could be totally wrong on this because memory is not the best thing. But I don't remember any RPGs. I just remember small arms. No, I don't remember any. Yeah, any I don't think it was RPGs. But I can, the only way I can describe it, and it felt like a, a lifetime, but it, it probably lasted for maybe a few seconds at most. Was the way I can describe it as being in a football stadium mm. and everybody is clapping. Yeah. And that's what it, that's literally what it felt like above yeah. my head because obviously the, when the rounds yeah. fly over your head they make that distinct clap noise. Yeah. Uh, so I can remember just laying there and thinking, "Shit, I'm gonna." Because the other, the other thing as well is once you get so like when so I ran up because I was like to the back of the dog like once I ran up to the front and started firing on the jimpy, and um, you know when I started firing again because I'd been in Iraq and stuff like that and kind of got shot and things, um, and I'd been in sangas and stuff and trying to fire back from the sanga, again a different situation here. And I couldn't see anyone who was shooting at us, but it was obvious where it was coming from. Yeah. So I just fucking let loose, and I went through the first belt in like fucking. I probably, just, I, probably <laughs> I probably just fucking smashed through it in like two bursts. Yeah. But um, once you start firing, then especially on something like a jimpy, personally, I don't feel like you hear what's coming back in as much then because you've mm. got a fucking big, you know, you've got these little fucking explosions in the breach going on ne- right next to your fucking head. Yeah. So like, and people are shouting at that. People start shouting, and I think you once you start getting stuck in, you become a lot less aware of what's coming in. Yeah, and I, I can remember then. I, I, I obviously at that stage, and I was like, I'm, I'm in the shit, yeah. No, because there was nowhere for me to go, and I couldn't see anybody else. I couldn't yeah. see any of the rest. Obviously, they well, fanned out a little bit, so I couldn't see anybody. So I was screaming, contact. I was trying to give. Um, target indications where where i where i was firing into i was firing firing my rifle firing tracer and it was no one and then i sort of remember thinking fuck what is that like that's hurting a little bit and then why is my neck sort of burning <laughs> <laughs> i laugh now yeah um i laughed at the time but yeah <laughs> yeah but i can remember thinking shit what why is my my neck sort of burning and so i lift my hand up felt it and well, as I went, sort of touched it. Obviously, where where the exit wound was, it was a, a massive fucking hole. So to explain to people where the injury was, because when it says shot in the neck, it almost um, the first people thought uh, uh, it's going to be how the fuck do you survive getting shot in the neck? Yeah. So we should describe how fat your neck is, shall we? Yeah. Well, they can see <laughs> no, it on no, camera. 
And it was ba- basically, where, where you got hit was, you know, at the back of your neck, obviously, there's like a little bit, you've got a little bit of space there where, because if you didn't have it, you wouldn't be able to turn your neck or lift your head or anything like that. So the bullet, where, where, it, where it hit him was just to the side of his spine, um, but without hitting any of the, the blood, well, the major blood pipes yeah. or anything like that, which is, you know, how, you, so that's how you survive getting And then, as we go through these podcast episodes, listeners, I think you maybe will be, if you haven't served in the military, you might be surprised to know how many people end up surviving headshots and neck mm. shots and fucking neck shots, especially neck shots, face shots, headshots. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, look, put it this way. If your body can survive losing two arms, two legs or whatever like that, it can survive getting hit in a lot of places. The body is pretty fucking resilient. On the other hand, you could have a tiny piece of fucking shrapnel that happens to hit the right part of your heart and you're fucked. Yeah. So... But yeah, so yeah, he did get shot in the neck. Although some people disagreed, didn't they, at the time? Yeah. Do you want to tell? I, d- I don't. I, d- I don't know what the disagreement was. Though the disagreement like... was somebody who should not be named, who was above us in the chain of command, said that, "Oh, you can't have been shot through the neck. It must have been a stone that flicked up and hit oh, you, yeah, or something like that." So there you go. Yeah. I, oh yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. And I just make it was that wasn't our boss because our boss was a fucking legend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I well, I don't understand how a stone could have created an entry wound and an exit wound. Me, I could throw a stone that far, mate. Yeah, that fast. You can see my stone throwing skills. But yeah, I remember, like I said, I stick my um, the back of my 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 neck, and there was just a, a big fucking hole there. And I remember just thinking, "Fuck, what was going on?" And then I looked, obviously, and that's where I could see all the blood and and stuff, which I'd, I'd not noticed. Until this point, all down down my arm. Um, so yeah, uh, I just screamed medic, thinking obviously yeah, at this place. <laughs> now, yeah. I just remember. <laughs> at this stage now, I'm thinking I'm in a fuck. I'm in a lonely place because I was on my own. There was no one there. I shouted fucking medic and and so on. And the first person that come running over to me, I just heard a little tap of footprints as I was still firing back. Was Ru. Yeah, and shout out Ru. Yeah, shout out Ru. Uh, and he jumped down next to me and said, "Fucking hell, John, we gotta go up to you," sort of thing. Like, and I, and I was like, "Ru, I've been it." Uh, turned to show him, and I was like, "Oh, how bad is it?" And Ru, being you know brutally honest as he is, turned around and said, "I'm not gonna lie, oh, this this pretty fucking bad." Like, <laughs> which did wonders for my. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So he plugged me with his fingers. So I've had Ru inside me. Many ways, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then a medic come running over. I won't mention his name. We won't mention his name, but fair play. Hey, he no, fucking he came over to you. He, he did, came, in he, all he came running over to you while I was fucking rounds cracking round. And like, if you're a medic, obviously the more skills you got, the better. But the one yeah. skill that you have to have as a medic, and we saw this when I got um, when I got blown up as well. Um, I'll say her name because she's fucking legend, Emma. She no, came yeah. running straight to, and like I said before, when you step out of the vehicle, you don't know what the fuck is around there. Emma and Jesus, and not actual Jesus, but signal of Jesus, those two came running straight to the fucking vehicle without a, a single fucking thought for their own safety. They did that. And if you're a medic, the one skill that you have to fucking have, you can fuck up sticking needles in people, anything like that, but you have to have something inside you that makes you run to people that are calling for fucking calling for a medic, calling for a corpsman, whatever it is. Um, because if you can't do that, then they, nothing else matters at that point. You have mm. to basically have the fucking balls 
And I'm talking about female medics here too, because they have fucking balls too, um, of running into a fuck because it's usually a fucking danger zone because you wouldn't be lying on the floor or whatever in the first place if it wasn't to to come running out. So fair play to him, you know he fucking did that. Um, and then what happened? So yeah, he obviously got down next to me, and, and like I said, in all fairness to him, uh, and, but obviously this we was we were still in in the killing area at the moment at this time, so we we needed to get out of there. So Rue obviously said, look. We need to get the fuck out of here, sort of thing. Get into like, some we cover. get out of here, man. Yeah, no, but it's probably a bit. That's that's the Vietnam movie version. It was yeah. probably more like, oh shit. We yeah, we we didn't shit, mate. We need <laughs> to fucking go, like, yeah. So yeah, we we got up and we we sprinted then into into cover behind the compound that we that we'd moved from about maybe eighty meters or so, running across our open ground and for fucking long run fast. That was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, got behind, got behind the the compounds in the cover. the The boss was there waiting for us. He'd uh, he'd not known that I'd been shot at this at this stage. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he asked me to 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 take control of the the mini me gunners. We had no flank protection, so I got one of the lads, stuck him out on the corner, told him the the boss that I'd been shot. Uh, and then and then I was it. He sort of. I stuck the the mini me gunner on the corner of the compound. Told him to. I, I was hyped up at this stage as well, fucking pumped as everybody was in it. Yeah. So my. Doing the mortars are coming in at this yeah, point as well. My words to him were, "If anything moves, just fuck it up." Yes. I didn't really think of anything. You know, just. I mean, that is to be honest. In that situation, the only target indication you need to give. Yeah, it's probably not a good thing to say though to a, a young private with a mini me. If anything, well, the thing is though, this is yeah, but this is the thing about the civvies in that region, like we said, have been in this situation yeah. for three years now. They they actually they know when the Taliban are moving into firing positions because they know the difference between a local and a Taliban. They've already fucking gone a lot yeah. of the times, and then if they haven't gone, they're they're down in the best hard cover because like. Here's the thing about those compounds with big, thick mud brick walls. Unless you stick a fucking J down right on top of it, which is a big-ass bomb, uh, and even then, you're not killing them, no. right? So the small arms fire, the way of shooting back and forth at each other, if uh, you, you could, if you're down behind one of those walls, you're going to be fucking all right. Yeah. And they, they had the sense to do that. They're not going to be like, fucking hell, you know, weather's all right today, but a lot of shooting going on. I think I will go to Sainsbury's anyway. Um Say to be you me for that shout out, <laughs> and um, they're not going to do that. They're going to so it's. I think it's a fair enough kind of call at that point, especially being shot in the neck, mate. Yeah, DS are going to let you off on that one. Yeah. So yeah, I, I sat I sat down then and sort of trying to have a little bit of a, a condo moment, trying to work out what the fuck has just happened, sort of thing. Mm. Um, medic, come over, started started treating me. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You've left out a very important part of the fucking story here. But his trousers. Oh, I'm getting to that point. Oh, now. all right. That's what I'm getting to now. Um, so, that's probably the, the the best part of the story. Actually, oh, sorry, it's fucking hilarious. Down, just, yeah, he just shot me down, mate. Cancel the podcast. But yeah, he he came over. He was nervous, shook up a little bit, and, and as I suppose everybody was, it was our first major contact of the tour, really. Um, and. Initially, he started wrapping the FFD around yeah. around my neck. That's a, um, a a field dressing. Yeah, the band, um, bandage in a basic bandage in a gauze pad, essentially. Yeah, 
he started wrapping that around my neck, and and as he did, I'd noticed that his dick was hanging out everywhere. <laughs> so he'd in the initial contact where he'd taken cover, he stripped all his trousers open. He didn't have no boxer shorts on, so his, well, his junk literally was going out. commando. Yeah, flat. but those those fucking trousers though, they are notorious for ripping in the crotch. Yeah, like the amount of soldiers that must have patrolled Afghan with their fucking balls hanging out in the breeze, like. There's probably a generation of Afghans traumatised by seeing British soldier sweaty, hairy balls mm. being dragged around. That's why the population turned against us, mate. It was probably not. It's like you can bomb my compound, but please put Just, away your fucking yeah, balls. Disgusting. But yeah, and, and they're getting pretty swollen at that point after being in theatre a month as well. And so, yeah, that's the last thing I wanted in my face at that time as well. You know, I just... Was it? Was it the last thing you wanted? <laughs> well, yeah. it, it was early on. It's in a the distraction, tour, so. at least. They could, <laughs> mate, they could, maybe they teach that to combat medics. Like, lads, these lads are going to be fucking worried about. Got, well, what we found out is if a lad loses both arms and both legs, he'd rather that than have to look at your balls. So distract yeah. him with the balls. Yeah. And these were particularly ugly balls, I may, may add as well. Yeah. I mean, like we said, fair play to him for running out to you. He's not going to be leading any GQ fucking covers or anything no, like that anytime soon. No. I look, fortunately was not witness to the balls, but I can only imagine yeah. the, the state that they were they were in. Probably like a, a D plus at most for the but, score. Of those. So let's get off the subject of balls and get back to the subject of getting shot and killing people. Yeah. So I sat there and had a cigarette, and you know, couldn't light it. Obviously, I was, Did, I was didn't, the, didn't the boss tell you to do something and? I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's a point where the boss said to you, like, to move, to move yourself or something like that, and you'd be like, "I've been shot, sir." No, like, oh. no, that was he told me to to get get a grip of the the mini me gunners and start suppressing suppressing the positions. I just I seem to have this memory of him just being like um, to do that, and then you've been like, and then you're like, oh, "I've been shot, sir." And he's like, "Oh." Yeah, well, carry on. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. Cla- classic British, class, classic British yeah. army officer. As soon as yeah, that was when we we got back to the compound. When we ran right. over, uh, he's like, "Corporal Jones, uh, I need you to take control of these mini gunners mm-hmm. and start suppressing the, the, the mm-hmm. positions." And uh, my reaction was, "Sir, uh, I've been shot." And it was yeah, oh, all right, okay. Um, well, just go and sit over there, sort of thing. Yeah, classic. Oh, no need to make first. Boss did a great job because he started getting the mortars and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. So while you were, while you were mincing around with all in your neck, some of us were putting in yeah. our work. So, so I, I was just sitting there having having a cigarette, having a fag. And, and yeah. at this this stage, everybody else had made their way back over uh, over to the, the the safe side, as I call it, of the of the M4 Wadi yeah. and was suppressing. So I was just sitting back, chilling, uh, taking a piss out of out of the medic for his his, his, his junk ganging up everywhere. I'll be back on the balls of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't get him off yeah. my mind. So, um, so I'm going to catch up with you now so so we don't go too far. So I'll catch up with you. Cause like, so my perspective of it, I don't know if I remember seeing you go down or if that's an invention in my memory after because I know memory does do stuff like that to you. So I'm not sure, like... But what I definitely remember is because I was at the back with Patsy and I remember shouting, I remember going moving up and I remember I got a clear as fuck memory of this, um, passing Turkey. I was kind of cr- crouched down and I, and look, going through my head, it's like, I can't believe this, I can't believe this, I can't believe this, I can't believe this. Just like, can't believe it. Got down, started putting the rounds down. Hunty turns up next to me because he had like extra ammunition for me and he starts feeding me the ammunition. And I'm just like, this is fucking awesome. I... No, I was just, I was fucking loving it. Now, not loving it in the same way of like, you know, 
really being aware that I was loving it, but I was, there was a, something going on in my body, like a little caveman or whatever like that. I was going like, Ooh, this is good. He, it was, lo- it was just fucking loving it. And there's the noise and everything like that. And, um, even if I did see you go down, I 100% didn't know that you'd been hit. Mm. So I thought we kind of got away with it. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, when you get away with something, you start giggling, you're like, he, he, I can't believe I did that. Um, and you know, I was just, smashing three rounds on the gym you know smashing three rounds on the gym if you put i don't know who's the best looking woman you can think of oh you got misses you better not answer this one all right someone really fit if you put if i had the option of sex with most beautiful woman in the world or going through 800 rounds on a gym pee in a contact taking the gym pee every single time every single fucking time yeah i was just fucking awesome i was fucking out of work because there's a lot of heavy kits and we've got you know, <clears throat> God knows what, over a hundred pounds of kit on, I'd say, you know, be gonna, yeah, around that part. And it's, it's hard work and everything, but back then we were a little bit, a little bit slimmer than we are now, mm. <laughs> a little bit fitter. And, um, yeah, it was a fucking lot of fun. I got back to that compound and I remember again, this distinctly, me and Hunty got down behind a little bun line and the contact then, it, it was quite a long range contact. It was quite long-range contact all the way through, but then I think they moved back from the green zone into compounds yeah. and around them. And I was just kind of like just popping away at what, you know, seeing a move back and forth the compounds and popping away. And then I see you get with the medic. And I'm like, I'm like to Hunty, I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck's happened to, um, what the fuck's happened to what? Which is what we called you, what, six? And he's like, he's been shot in the neck. I'm like, oh my God. Because my initial reaction was, oh, my mate's about to die. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was like, this isn't, this isn't fun anymore. But then, like, I seen you kind of, like, just chilling over there. I'm like, he looks all right. So I thought, oh, he's not been hit in the neck. He must have, like, Chinese whispers. Is, mm. is that the wrong way of him? So, as I, again, like, mentioned contact report, I know I've had a lot of people. So the, the whole confirmed kill thing isn't something that I really want to bring up. Not because it's like, oh, I feel so guilty. Because I tell you what, I line up 500 Taliban for me. I'll quite happily gun them down. Um, and as I'm sure most fucking veterans would do. Because, you know, these the fucking stuff that they were doing to people out there, fuck them. Um, and they were trying to kill us. And it's big boy's rules. You turn up for a fucking fight, you start shooting at someone. If you get shot, it's big boy rules. You fucking volunteered to be there, so you got shot, that's big boy rules. They got shot, that's big boy rules. Um, and, um, yeah, it's uh, the reason I'm answering this question, the reason I brought it up is because I've had, um, when I've been putting out, asking people, you know, to send me in questions and stuff on social media, one of the things comes in is, have you ever killed anybody? So, might as well fucking address it now because otherwise next time we do another show it's going to be have you ever killed anybody so let's get it let's get it out of the way now yes um and what happened was we saw two guys breaking down from a compound running down towards the green zone hunty fucking like fucking hunty hit me on the shoulder he's like you see them two guys i'm like yeah and i led them which is basically when you fire at someone you don't fire at where they are you fire at where they're going to be um is the most basic description of of how to do that and I fired like a five-round burst and a second five-round burst. And there's tracer in the bullet, which allows you to kind of see. It's like the little kind of like the red or, well, for them it was green a lot of the time, wasn't it? But like the kind of like the Star Wars laser beam that you see going out. And um, ran sec- straight into the second burst and just kind of seeing just go boom, fucking flat on his ass. Um, I'm not sure what happened to the other one. I'm not sure if it hit him or it missed him or what, but one of them was down and he stayed down. And we were looking at him through the binoculars. He wasn't moving nowhere. Um, and the good thing about the ICOM radio is that you get confirmation of stuff like this. 
So they're basically on the radio like, oh, Derek's dead, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and that's about as confirmed as most of the time we could get out in Afghanistan because as we've already discussed, you don't move anywhere without the fear of IEDs. So um, mo- and let's be fucking honest, man. Most of the time we got shot out like that. I ain't got a fucking clue where we were getting shot out from. Because no. like, what they do is they put holes called murder holes through, like they dig a hole through a compound wall and shoot at you through that, or they're shooting at you from thick built-up barriers. It's only because these two dickheads were stupid enough to run, um, from for, to break cover in the middle of it. They didn't know the fucking sniper Jim P. Jones was going to be there. But, no, like, the truth is, most of the time we were shooting at people, I, 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 you know I have roughly where it was coming from, but you couldn't see, it's not like they were fucking standing up in the crosshairs. This was an American sniper where they were, just running into the middle of the street, taking a knee and starting to fire at you. Not that I'm trying to take anything away from them, because I'm sure, you know, but you know what I'm saying. They're 100%. You can find the videos on fucking YouTube. Um, and I know you and me, you spend a lot of our time yeah. watching videos of people getting sh- fucking shot. In I think I think is a, a common misperception that Taliban are just cowboys. Yeah. They just turn up and just run around, shoot in and... And they're not. They're they're, they're trained in most they're cases. Good, they're man. good at what they do. They're good, like you said. They've been doing it for a long fucking time. And obviously, there's different tiers of them. Just as we have tier one operators, and you know, you've got the you got well, you got at the top, you got tier one operators, and at the bottom, you got what RF regiment. <laughs> Sorry, oh, RF yeah, regiment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, we have the, the the reality is there is different tiers. There's different jobs. But I in across, and this includes the RAF regiment. So don't start crying, people. Um, it's um, a very high standard across the British Armed Forces. In the, the Taliban and stuff, they don't have, like, they they might have some blokes who've literally been given a weapon and that's the extent of their training. But a lot of them are fucking good. Really fucking good. Um, and, you know, they pass on lessons from different AOs and stuff like that. If they weren't good, they wouldn't be there now in charge of the fucking place. You know, they are fucking good. And they're not... You know, like, as as we said, in the area that we were at, they were ground-holding, really. They weren't really, lo- like, trying to overrun us or anything like that. So they had, like, I don't know how many. I, I don't know how many there were there. Who knows? But there wasn't hundreds of them, I don't think. Um, I think we probably outnumbered them. But that doesn't really matter when you're out on the ground because you're not all there at once. There's just a patrol of you, and they can bring all of their guys to bear. Uh, and I tell you what, man, fuck me. How much would you love to be an insurgent on offense no. rather than defense? It'd be a fucking... Wet dreammate to be able to be the ones initiating the concert. I don't think I've ever fired on anyone where I didn't get fired on first. No. No. I never, I don't know. Anyway, mate, right, I think what we're going to do, mate, is we're going to wrap up here for the day. Um, and for the day, I mean this episode. And we'll, um, we'll, we'll wrap up this episode and we'll continue to talk because I think we've been a bit optimistic for fixing uh, Afghan into one episode. So let's make it yeah. a double episode. Let's come back on um, for another episode. Uh, guys, thank you very much for listening. If you want to uh, connect with us on social media, you can go to at uh, Veteran State of Mind. That's on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. If you want to connect with me, it's at GRJ Books. Um, mostly I'm on uh, Instagram, but um, I, I'm active on pretty much most of them except Twitter. Alex, you want to, people to connect or do you want privacy? No, I'm happy enough. I'm, I'm a private man. All right, it's private man. I need attention, people. So come and give me likes because if I don't get enough likes, I will cry myself to sleep. Um, Thanks very much for listening guys This was Veteran State of Mind And we'll catch you for the next episode Cheers